Well, let's turn to First Peter. We're in chapter 3 tonight. <laughs> Slowly moving, covering all words and topics that we come across. <clears throat> in the outline that's on WhatsApp, we put down there just a, the broad one for the first two chapters was the introduction Chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, the supreme cost of our salvation and introduction to the trials and tribulations we may be having and going to have. Chapter 1, 3 to 25, the responsibility of the Christians, and that's the last chapter. Chapter 2, now we look at the conduct of Christians. The conduct of Christians, first of all, in the family, and just be starting and opening that tonight, and then in the fellowship, and we'll move on from that later in the chapter so the conduct of christians in the family notice how it starts wives be oh, sorry likewise ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands that if any obey not the word they also without the word be won by the conversation of the wives while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear <clears throat> and so likewise it's like therefore at the start of a portion of scripture what is it therefore uh, likewise what have we just been looking at in chapter 2 we've been talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and his suffering for us setting us an example um, being obedient to the father above and so likewise carries into this chapter let's do the same whether it be husbands or wives, obedient to the Lord, obedient in our realm of responsibility to be obedient. Um, <clears throat> and that changes as we go through life, doesn't it? When we're younger, we've got parents that, we, that lead us. And then as teachers, when we get to school and the law, the, the government, the, the church and all the institutions that God has put into place to govern people. And praise God, we've got a fairly consistent system so far in our country, uh, not like other countries. So, <clears throat> likewise, as Christ submitted, in the family, let's do the same. Now we have, first of all, the wife. In verses 5 to 6, her disposition, oh, sorry, <laughs> in verses 1 and 2, the wife, her de demeanour and then the wife her dress and decorum and then the wife her disposition and the husband his direction and discernment and this is a bit the headings we'll be looking at and just starting with this first one tonight the wife and her demeanour let's pray thank you lord for the word and the lord it touches on some very touchy things in our society I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be soon touchy, but we would be all ears to obey the word that is here. It's not a cultural thing, it's the Bible. It's, it covers all time. And, Lord, I pray that we'd be willing to he hear and heed the word tonight to bring you the glory and the praise and the honour. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> now, there's this portion that you have and let me sort of highlight one in verse 6. This portion with Ephesians 5 probably gets the ire of a lot of modern people going. 
even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. His daughters ye are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Now, <clears throat> that could certainly crank a few people up, couldn't it? <laughs> In the media and society today, when you read a portion like that and go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 22 to 24, it speaks of that in more detail. And so <clears throat> the demeanour of the, of the wife is, is spoken of here. So that portion with Ephesians. Um, <clears throat> where do we get our teaching from? Do we get it from the changing society in which we live? Or do we get our teaching and what we do from the scriptures? From the scriptures, of course, from the scriptures. Modern society doesn't dictate to us how we live. And with the rise of and rule of feminism today, we've got the changing roles of men and women. And sometimes you look at a person, you have to look a few times to say, what is it? I mean, is it a, a man or is it a woman? And um, it's just the way the person dresses or doesn't dress or whatever um, that, that, that it is changing God doesn't change does he he's given definite roles he created them male and female um, God knows best he is our absolute authority he has infinite wisdom and he, he knows all that's going to happen and has happened and all the styles of life that people have had in societies through, through all 6,000 years of human history. He knows all that, knew all that, knows it all. And uh, <clears throat> we need to go by the God-ordained order that is given. And where did he lay that God-ordained order down as far as the relationship between husband and wife? Where is it given? Back in the book of Genesis. You go back you know, to the first mentioned principle. And there in, in Genesis chapter 2 is he created man and woman. And it's not good that man be alone. And then he created woman out of the side of the man as it's written there. <clears throat> chapter 2 verse 18 to 25. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3 and verses 7 to 9. This with Peter, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 11. Yes, they say, well, that was culturally relevant back then, but not today. Well, it is relevant today. Now I praise you, oh, we'll start with verse 2. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye rem remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Just like we have it in the book of Peter, where he talked, you know, likewise. In chapter 2, there he talked about the Lord Jesus Christ being sub submissive to his father. And so he, the headship is talked of here. This is the order. And order uh, brings about things. Disorder does not. It causes, it brings about things, but usually chaos. Um, and then, and you can read down through there, but let's go down to verse 7. For the man indeed ought not to have cover his head for as much as 
he, he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. But the, the man is not for the, of the woman, but the woman of the man. She was taken from the man, as in Genesis 2. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. And so these New Testament writers, inspired by the Spirit of God, wrote these things. And we do well to heed them, even in the 21st century. Are we in the 21st? 21st century. <laughs> and this, millenniums later, just because we have people that think, well, we're far better educated and we're smarter these days and... Uh, we're not. They might have been smarter in past times. It's just the collective knowledge is far increased in mankind with all the nations and the breaking of the language barrier. But it doesn't mean because you're smart you're wise either. Wisdom is the right application of knowledge of what we know. And we need to be wise in that way. Well, God ordained the order in creation... And there is reiterated it here in three portions in the New Testament. Now, when did the mindset of independence and taking the leadership role of by the wife begin? When did all that start breaking down? <laughs> when was it that a wife said, "No, we're going to do it this way"? Say? The fall. (laughs) Yep, back Genesis chapter 2 and 3. That's where it started. Let's go. Let's go back there. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Eve, it says, in the temptation, in the fall, was... What's the word? She was de-deceived. Adam knew what he's doing <laughs> and chose to follow what she what what had happened there and, and he took gave to her husband and he took he didn't have to oh, you, you could say what if you know <laughs> what if had Adam hadn't done that what would have happened we don't know <laughs> that's not the way it worked out and this is the way it is so let's just go by that <clears throat> Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to 6, And the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit there, thereof, and did eat, and gave it also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And so she is taking the lead in this, in this situation, and the disaster that followed has continued with us, since creation for 6,000 years and um, <laughs> you say just eating one apple well <laughs> one bit of fruit 
would cause all those problems. You just imagine if they hadn't sinned, what the world would be like <laughs> now. The, 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 the population of the world, there'd be no war, no death, no suffering, no pain. It would be incredibly different. But they, this is what happened. And we have the record here. And she gave to, and, and she see, folks, when we do something that we think is not much, you know, oh, it's only a little thing, it's a, a little white lie, we might say, but the consequences in time, as that progressively develops, is worse and worse. Like <clears throat> the chap called Miller, he never knew a farmer, Baptist farmer, knew that one day he'd be the beginner of the Seventh-day Adventists and the Jehovah's Witness in the doctrine that he concocted in trying to set a date for the Lord's coming. He didn't know that, but look at what has happened from those sort of things and how many people have been deceived by that. Well, here we have the same. Chapter 3 of Genesis and verse 16. We read there, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. This is, God, this is how God, as it were, answered what had happened to rectify things. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. He shall rule over thee. And from that point on, there's been a struggle between who? Mr. and Mrs. <laughs> husband and wife. Ever since. That is the, the, the contention that happens within families. Who's going to be the ruler? Who's going to be the leader? Um, <clears throat> so be careful to follow the Lord's example. As here God restored man's role as the and reinstated or restated it there in verse 16. <clears throat> I'm going to read what's his name? Alexander White's part of a sermon that he preached and this is a little bit old fashioned but uh, I thought I couldn't put it like he put it and he's speaking about he's speaking in a sermon on Rebecca Isaac and Rebecca now, the single plank that spans the terrible gulf between Isaac's marriage and his deathbed is laid for us in this single sentence and this is a sentence he chose from the story of Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. He that hath ears will hear the, that bottomless pit of marriage sorrow that Isaac and Rebekah had dug and filled for themselves and for their own two sons, boiling up and roaring all around them. It sickens us to stand there and to think of such lifelong sorrow after such a sweet start. I know the wedding day and all the white and the confetti and all the vows that are made and all the you know the feast <laughs> sweet start and you can remember remember when that um, Isaac met Rebecca as she returned with the servant and he go, continues there are years of secret alienation and distaste and dislike in that little verse Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. Food. <laughs> they say that the way to a man's heart is through the food. It might have come from this verse, <laughs> but not. it shouldn't be so, just for food's sake. It's such a division in the family. 
And he continued, there are heart burning and heart breaks, hidden hatreds and open quarrels, deceits and duplicities and discoveries of deceits and duplicities, enough to make Isaac old and blind and dead before his time. When the twin brothers were brought up day after day and hour after hour in an atmosphere of favouritism, partiality and indulgence and injustice, no father, no mother can surely need to have it pointed out to them what present misery and what future wages of sin is to be seen and to be expected in that evil house. So he's really pointing some things out here of Isaac and Rebekah. Eloquent with wickedness, as the words are, Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Yet they make little impression on us till we have read on and on through chapter after chapter, full of the fruit of that little verse. And so he bases the sermon and the life of them on that one verse. One of the very first fruits of that devil's garden that Isaac and Rebekah had sowed for themselves was the two heathen marriages that Esau went out and made and brought home, and which were such a grief to Isaac and Rebekah. That grief would seem to have been almost the only thing that the old two, the two old people at, had, had at one. They believed the same. It was a bitter pill to Rebekah, those two marriages of Esau. And if you read through those two marriages that Esau made, he saw that his parents didn't want it, he went and did it. But uh, we might blame Esau. But what was Esau looking at all the years he grew up? What was he being a part of? He was being part of the favoritism and the one love on the one and the other love on the other. And he saw that and he said, well, I'm not going to Pandanaram to get a wife. She might be like that. <laughs> like mum, I'm going to go to, where, where'd he go? To the Ites, <laughs> one of the Ites, and, and, get, and, get, and get a wife from there. He well could have thought that. He, he, he'd see his dad, Isaac, to whom, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to whom the covenants were given. What difference does it make in dad's life? <laughs> you know, these covenants of God to him. I'm not concerned about the covenants. You know, Esau sold his birthright, remember. All these things come from a seed that was sown where Isaac and Rebekah were not at one in what they practiced and said in the family. And it had disastrous consequences in Esau's life. He probably thought, surely I can get one wife that is sweeter. What would have Esau's relationship been with his mum? Knowing, he knowing that she had deceived her husband and, 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 and dressed up Isaac with the hairy stuff and, and made up venison, was all a part of the deal. What, what do you think you would have thought of your mum if she cheated you out of the birthright like that? Do you think the relationship would have been honky-dory or whatever they say? Not at all. <clears throat> And it all comes back to what we're looking at here in the book of Peter. You know. <clears throat> one of the wives was a Hittite and the other one was a Hivite. Almost the same. <laughs> the two Hivites, the Hivite and the Hittite. 
and, uh, <clears throat> and, and, and cause grief, as it says in, the, in there. Well, and <clears throat> I read on, I've missed quite a bit in the middle here of this sermon that, he, that uh, Mr. White gave. And the wife see that she reverence her husband, says Paul, with, with his eye on Rebecca. Yes, but what if she cannot? What if there is so little left that is to be reverenced about her husband? What if he is not wise? What if he is a fool? What if a wife wakens up to see that she has yoked herself until death to a churly or to a boar? Now, this is a bit older language, but you get the picture. Or to an ignoramus. Where does he go on? Or to a rooster. A cock comb, they called it here. Or to a lazy, idle log. Or, or to the shape of a man whose God is his belly. Yeah. I love the venison. Or to or his purse. Or just his own small, miserable self. What is a woman so ensnared in this marriage to do? And I thought it's worth reading this one. If you want a copy, we can do a copy for you. <laughs> but it can be done. It can be done. And it is being done all around the world by thousands of sisters by the help of God. Let us say, I would have him. I would not see what everyone else saw and what some of my people were so bold and cruel as to tell me they saw in my husband. <laughs> I walked into it with my eyes shut. I thought that just to be married would be heaven upon earth. Isn't that what a lot of girls think when they're young and they don't know and they're not wised up to a lot of things? And that's why it's good to have some counselling before you go into marriage. I, I think now back to some that I have married, I wished I'd talked them out of it because of the mess that they're in now. Now we're... It's sort of, you, you can't get the full picture of what people are like just in some, well, sometimes it goes up for about 15 meetings with them. But yeah, yeah, they, they, their eyes, what do we say? They're full of stars or something? Starry-eyed. Starry-eyed, yeah. Starry-eyed, you know, getting, getting married, all's wonderful, and they're planning the wedding. Uh, leave the planning of the wedding. Let's talk about uh, a real-life situation here. This is going to be for life. This is not... And the, one of the first questions is now I ask a couple, do you believe in divorce? And if they do, you go find someone else to marry you. That's, I'm not going to be part of that because if you, it's like writing a, what do they call those? A prenuptial. Prenuptial, yeah. And saying, you know, if this happens, then we can, you get this and I get that. No, you, you're planning for a divorce. You know, right just before you even start. Um, <clears throat> Um, it goes on I would like I, w I walked into it with my eyes shut I thought just being married would be heaven on earth I was sure he would improve it, isn't that the case with so many situations where marriages have failed I said that if ever a woman helped a man to improve I would be that woman and he said with such warmth that I was that woman to him and that there was not another woman like me in the whole earth. I made this bitter bed with my own hands. That is, that is the true line to take when a woman is told to reverence a husband for whom no one else has any reverence or affection. 
Let her determine to be a New Testament wife to him. These are they which came out of great tribulation. (laughs) Now he's using a wrong application. That's 144,000 that came out of great tribulation. But he's saying of the the marriage, she came out of great tribulation. It is said in heaven over a multitude of such wives. And true too, true too. Let her say to herself then every day, that this is her great tribulation, and perhaps that will help him. I have not helped him as I promised to in, and intended to do. I have dwelt on my own disappointments and shipwreck, and not enough on his. And he goes on to say what the woman in her conversation should do to try to build that marriage back. And, uh, you know, the dream she had has been shattered and fallen apart. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may be, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives, by the behaviour of the wife. And that's what he they, they goes on in that story to, to say, or in that, in that sermon to say. <clears throat> what did Peter have in mind when he wrote verse 1? What sort of person? An unbelieving person. That's what he said. If any obey not the word, that they may be one. And First Corinthians seven. I've got very familiar with those portions over the time of time of ministry, and and talking about marriage and a relationship there. And uh, what if one is married to an unsaved person? What if one becomes a Christian when you're married as two non-Christians? And and how to deal with it? Well, it's dealt with in chapter seven of First Corinthians. Um, it's it's better. Well, as far as I, in my conscience, is concerned, that everyone that I performed a wedding for were saved. They professed to be saved. And how can I know the heart if they're going to they're going to turn sometime later on because it wasn't what they wanted or thought it was. It's, it's sad, but we're in that day. And, and mums and dads, how are you living before your children? Because they're getting a picture of what marriage is about. They're seeing you, mum and dad, and how you behave and how you relate and how things work. And they're living in that family. You know, We don't know at church all that goes on in families, in each other's family. That's good. <laughs> It's the way that God has designed it, but it can come out. And uh, sometimes comes out in the children and how they react and what, what they do with the word as they're being taught it. Are we being hypocrites before them or are we being Christ-like before our children? I think that has a lot of effect. It has a great effect. There's... Um, I've shared this before, as someone said to another, to a man to a man, brother to brother, you know what, it would be better that you didn't homeschool your children. Now, I'm not for or against, you know, you can take your side on that, but this is what was said, than to homeschool them and be fighting all the time at home. What's the sense in that? That's a Christian life? And they say, no, not for me. And, and that's been so in that, in that family. 
Um, <clears throat> what is it that a wife will or could save her husband or do is save her husband? I, I answered the question before I asked it. So <clears throat> a wife can save her husband. And if they won't be won by this godly lifestyle of the wife, then God can deal with them, can he not? He did deal with one, and we have that example, and we haven't time, yeah, we run out. In 1 Samuel 25, Nabal, Abigail's wife. Remember what she did? And how God dealt with him and turned his heart as a word of stone when he found out she'd been talking to David and that she'd provided provisions for David and his men. One by the conversation. That's one's conduct, their deportment, their manner of walk. <clears throat> Not used in the Bible of our verbal communication, but of our life. The way we, you know, our actions speak so loud I can't hear what you're saying. <laughs> the conversation. Um, and we'll look at that next time. I thought we'd have plenty of time to get into that. But a conversation. Our past conversation shouldn't be a part of our life now. Our present conversation and our pristine conversation. There, should be, there is a difference as you look at that word as it's used in the New Testament. <clears throat> what, do you th what sort of bloke was Nabal? Churlish. Churl, that's the word, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, truly was. And it didn't... It didn't help him in his life, did it? I know a few more. You have? Church people. Yeah. <laughs> On my long journey. Yep. <laughs> and, and you can just... You, you, when you're around them, with their wife, you cringe at what they say. Oh. Yeah. You know that's going to really hurt her. Don't you see it? Anyway, don't be that way, men, boys, young lads. <laughs> don't be churlish. Well, I'm the boss of this house. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, you're going to drive them all out. And the children don't want that. That doesn't, have, doesn't help you. Not going to help me. I'm out of here. So, <clears throat> but listen, young people, you've got no excuse. If you've got mum or dad that's doing the wrong thing, you are responsible before God. You have to behave and obey the scriptures. Someone has to start doing the right thing. And it's the Christian who should be doing that. 